Well, good morning, New Life Church, and to all of our friends around the world that are watching with us and worshiping with us on this Lord's Day here in Abu Dhabi. We're grateful that you could join with us this morning. Over the last few weeks, over the last few months, we have been going through the uh, book of Acts. And last week, as we began looking at Acts chapter 3, we saw in verses 1 to 10, the lame man asking for something temporary when he asked Peter and John for money. And however, he got something better when Peter reached down and took him by the hand and healed his lame legs. If you remember last week when the lame man was healed, he not only walked, but he leaped and he praised the Lord um, going into the temple. And everybody obviously saw what was going on. And this commotion drew a big crowd. And Peter used this opportunity to give a sermon that would explain to people what had just happened to this lame man. And this miracle that happened to the lame man uh, led to the second sermon, which we are going to look at this morning um, in detail. And the title of my sermon this morning is Three Principles to Help Your Evangelism. And I hope they will. I hope these principles, as we look at the sermon, would help you to be able to present the the gospel clearly and effectively and, and efficiently. So won't you read with me this morning our text from Acts chapter 3, from verse 9, we're going to look at all the way down to verse 26. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, talking about the lame man here. Verse 10, and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us, though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time, for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will rise up, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Father, we do ask you please to teach us again this morning. We thank you again for your word. And we know it's profitable for our instruction and our training in righteousness. We, please, we, we plead you, with you this morning, Lord, please instruct us that we may become more like your son, Jesus. And we ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. I was sharing this week, um, as we were talking to a member of our church, they told me about their struggle when it comes to sharing the gospel, especially with their family members. And they said that as soon as they, they start talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel, especially with their family, their family members end up debating and bringing up objections which, um, which they cannot think fast enough to figure out what to say in return. And I think we can all relate to that scenario. Now, we've all had opportunities to share our faith in Christ, and there have been times more than often where we've blown those opportunities. And we think, oh, if only I'd said that, or 10 minutes later, oh, I should have said this, or I should have said that. And if you're anything like me, then we all could use some instruction on how to proclaim the gospel when God opens up the doors, when God gives us these opportunities. And Peter's second sermon here in Acts gives us some help. Um, God has just used Peter and John to heal a man who had been lame from birth. And as we saw last week, a crowd quickly gathers together, amazed at what happened. And Peter doesn't stand there tongue-tied, not knowing what to say. In fact, he gives an impromptu sermon to, two, to, to many people where 2,000 are, are saved that um, morning. And we know he was talking, it tells us in verse 12, to men of Israel. So Peter uses language that the, the Jewish people could understand. He uses pictures and illustrations and even their Old Testament text because he knew that they would understand that and he presents the gospel as a result. And I think we can learn from that. I think we need to see these principles, how we can relate to the people that we are talking to, how we can relate in a manner that they can connect with the, the truth of the gospel. I'm not talking about changing the gospel or contextualizing it. I'm talking about relating to people in their difficult circumstances and how the gospel applies to them. Well, Peter's sermon has three points that I believe we can closely examine this morning that will help us to um, share the gospel effectively, to help our evangelism. And my first point this morning to proclaim the gospel, we must exalt the Lord Jesus. Now, Peter's sermon is full of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so should be our witnessing. So should be our evangelism. And people must consider, they must ask the question, who is Jesus Christ? Is he, is he just a man um, who had some, some good moral teachings, who was, who was kind? Um, or, is he, or is he something else? Uh, and people may choose to adopt some of his teachings and, and reject others, uh, other of his teachings according to their preferences. But if he is Savior, if he is the Lord, 
that has been prophesied in the Old Testament that was crucified in accordance with God's plan and was risen from the dead as the, the prophets predicted, then he is the coming judge of the earth. He is not just a mere man. And this Christ imposes upon us some claims that we cannot ignore. And everything in our witnessing hinges on getting this fact right. We need to exalt Jesus Christ when we are sharing the gospel. We need to make sure people understand who this Jesus really is. We need to be clear in communicating the person of Jesus Christ. We, we fail in doing this if we don't do this correctly. Jesus was not just a man. He was, in fact, the sovereign, risen Lord and Savior. And Peter uses titles here in the passage this morning to help people understand this, to help his audience understand this. And they are summed up in, in a couple of phrases. And I think um, the most important one we see in verse 16, he talks about the name of Jesus in Acts 3.16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of of you all. See what Peter's doing here. He's exalting not just Jesus, but the name of Jesus. He wants people to see the power that there is in the name of Jesus. Now, the name Jesus comes from the, the Hebrew name Joshua, which is very common um, in Jewish culture, even in, in the Bible. But the word Joshua means Yahweh saves. And remember in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and told him, you will call your son Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's what Jesus means. Yahweh saves. And Jesus points not just to um, him as a, as, as a man. Jesus also points to him as our divine Lord and Savior. And since he was given that name at his birth, and since he has been miraculously conceived in Mary through the, the Holy Spirit, this is a significant point. But also notice in verse 13, Peter also refers to Jesus as the servant of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Look there at verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So the word servant is used in, in the Greek version of uh, Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, which is quite a familiar passage, where, where the prophet predicts the coming of the Savior would be pierced through for our transgressions and that the Lord would cause the iniquity of us all to, to fall upon him. So the word servant wasn't an unfamiliar phrase. Peter also calls Jesus the holy and righteous one. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one, righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So we know Jesus was without sin. He had no sin. And that's why he could offer himself as the substitute for sinners. 
without needing to make atonement for his own sin because he, never, he had never sinned um, on his own. So the God, only Christ is the, the true and righteous one. Um, in Peter's first sermon, remember, he quoted from Psalm uh, 16 verse 10 where David declares that God will not allow his Holy One to undergo uh, decay because he is holy. On another occasion, Peter affirmed his belief that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And even the demons recognize this. Let's remember this. The demons were there when Jesus was creating the world. They are not atheists in any sense of the imagination. They understand that Jesus is the Holy One. We read about that in Luke 4 when um, Jesus was performing miracles. They recognized His holiness. And the word righteous focuses on the fact that Jesus had done no wrong. He was perfect in every way. And these are, these are truths that we need to present when, when sharing the gospel. There's another uh, point there in Acts 3 verse 15. Peter refers to Jesus as the prince of life. And you call the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And the word prince means the leader or the author or the originator. It's used in the sense where Hebrews chapter, in, in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 where Jesus is called the author of our salvation. Um, he's the originator of our salvation. And in Hebrews 12 verse 2 where he is called the author and the perfecter of our faith. He, he doesn't just um, originate our faith. He perfects our faith as well. He originates our salvation and our faith and he brings it to perfect completion. And as the prince or the author of life, he originates life uh, both physically as well as spiritually. Um, he declares that um, of his own life in John 14 verse 6. Uh, he says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. And he said um, in John 5 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life also, even so the Son also gives life to whom he, he wishes. And another point that he brings out here, talking about who Jesus is, we see in Acts 3 verse 18 and verse 20. Peter's referring to Jesus as God's Christ. Notice here. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. Notice there, his Christ. And then verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. We know the word Christ means Savior. Jesus wasn't a self-appointed Savior. We have so many of those today, don't we? We have political saviors who are promising us life and rescue and lower taxes. We even have um, religious um, Christ still promising us salvation in their terms. But Jesus didn't ever appoint himself as Christ. God appointed him. God appointed him as his anointed one. Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, and he fulfills many of the Old Testament messianic prophecies that we read about in the Old Testament. And Peter goes on in, in verse 22 to show that Jesus is the prophet whom 
Moses predicted. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The, 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 the prophet. But not only that, Jesus was the one whom all the prophets from Samuel had spoken about. Uh, look at Acts 3 verse 22 and verse 24. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. In verse 25, Peter states that Jesus is the, the seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then he concludes in verse 26 again by stating again that Jesus is God's servant whom he raised up and sent to bless them by turning them from their wicked ways. So Peter, in relating to his Jewish audience, he has shown Jesus to be in line with God's promises to Abraham and to Moses and to, to David. So when we are sharing the gospel, you know, people will try and um, force us to go into, down rabbit holes and rabbit trails that we don't want to go down. And we need to be clear on what we understand and what we know about Jesus and what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And sometimes you, you might answer their questions, which are fine, but we need to keep in mind the, the central fact that the person that we are witnessing to needs to know who Jesus is. We need to get this right. We need to make sure we know what we know. And we need to communicate that to others about who Jesus is, what the Bible says who Jesus is. They may have never read the Gospels or they have, may have never um, heard a sermon. And so we need to take time to explain to them who Jesus is so that they can make an informed an intelligent decision as to who they want to follow, as to who Jesus is, the person who demands them to follow. Um, and the main thing is to bring the person face to face with who Jesus is. That's the first principle to help our evangelism. The second principle we see in verse 13 to verse 15. My second point is if we are to proclaim the gospel, we must confront Sinners, we must confront sinners. Um, we see Peter says to them, You chose a murderer over the Messiah. Look at verse 13 to verse 15. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now remember the story. Barabbas was chosen over Jesus by the Jews. Remember when Pilate came out and he said, Who do you want me to crucify? The custom was that Every year at the Passover, a convicted criminal would be set free as a demonstration of the mercy of the Roman government. And Barabbas was one of the criminals there that they had to choose from. Barabbas, he was a notorious criminal of the day. Everybody knew he was guilty of treason. He was guilty of rebellion against the government. He was guilty of robbery, even, even murder. 
But when Pilate asked the crowds to choose between Jesus and Barabbas as to whom they wanted to be set free, the crowd, which had been worked into a frenzy, they cried out, Give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! Crucify Jesus! And they chose a murderer. And they rejected the Messiah. They chose a guilty man and condemned an innocent man. They spared the life of a murderer and they ordered the murder the murderer of the one who raised the dead. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, Pastor, that, that's a nice Bible lesson, but what good does that information have to do with me? Well, thank you for asking, let me tell you. I think Barabbas represents every person on this earth who has ever rejected Jesus. If you are living for sin rather than for the Lord Jesus, you are choosing a murderer instead of Christ. You are choosing a murderer instead of the Messiah. Maybe you're choosing alcohol. Maybe you're choosing drugs. Maybe you're choosing lust. Maybe you're choosing greed. Or whatever sin it is. And whatever sin is it, all sin we know leads to death. All sin leads to eternal judgment. While, the, while, in, uh, while in Jesus' day, the, the Jews literally killed the Messiah, Spurgeon, he points out very clearly, he says, every sin in the essence of it is a killing of God. Let me say that again. Every sin in the essence of it is a killing of God. Maybe you're asking me this morning, so pastor, are you accusing us of murder? Is that what you're saying? Well, yes. Yes, I am. Um, and you might say, well, who have I killed? How can you accuse me of, of murder? Well, my answer would be to you, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God's only begotten Son. I'm not just accusing you, I'm accusing me. I'm accusing all of us. All of us are guilty of this. It was your sin, it was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. An older lady was witnessing to a, to a younger lady one day who said, I guess I've done about every sin but kill a man. And the older, wiser lady said, no, actually you did that too. And this is true, folks. We chose the murderer over the Messiah. And the first thing that Peter says to his audience is applicable for us. You desired a murderer. And when you reject Jesus, you choose the murderer of all murderers. And I'm talking about Satan himself. The father of lies. Have you ever thought about it that way? To deny and reject Jesus is to choose the devil. It's to choose the devil. It's to choose his word, his world, and his way. And twice Peter uses the word denied in, in verse 13 and verse 14. He tells them that they have denied the risen Lord and Again, in verse 15. So we don't do any service to our friends that we're witnessing to if we don't adequately present to them the bad news. 
We need to present the bad news before we can present the good news. And the bad news is that we have chosen a murderer. We have chosen a murderer over the Messiah because the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible also says if we say that we are without sin, we call God a liar. And we know God is not a liar. So we are the ones who are in this sad condition. The prince of life we have killed and they have killed by Jesus and killing Jesus by our sin. And if we do not repent, if we do not repent, we will face God's certain judgment, His awful judgment. And we need to call people to repentance. We need to tell them the bad news. One thing about Peter is that he can't help but mention the resurrection. And this is where it changes. This is where the good news changes. And we see the sermon suddenly change in verse 17. As Peter offers them a way to be cleared of these charges. He offers them hope. He offers them forgiveness. And Peter tells him, not only have you denied a, a risen Lord, but you have also denied a redeeming Lord. A redeeming Lord. Look, look at verse 17. Peter tells him, what they did was done in ignorance. Even though they knew he was an innocent man, they truly didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And I feel at this point, you know, we must understand that, again, this is a Jewish crowd. Peter understood his audience. He knew their background. He understood their needs. He was familiar with their customs. And he knew that the law taught a difference between willful sins and sins of ignorance. Uh, a willful sin was very different to a sin of, of ignorance. There's a, in today we call it murder and we call it manslaughter. Um, in fact, Numbers 35 even um, explains that to us in verse 11. It, tells, it talks about the city of refuge in Numbers 35. It says, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. So there was an accidental death, and there was a very intentional murder. Those were two different things. Um, we know this is different, you know, from, from I'm going to kill that person. I'm going to plan his murder. And then there is, well, I, I, I didn't know my my, my own strength, I didn't realize that I was going to knock him out. But God is not excusing murder here. I'm not saying it's, it's okay. But there is a difference. And here he is modifying the circumstances. Peter is modifying the circumstance. And the charge is being reduced from murder to manslaughter. And now there is a glimmer of hope for these people. And you can see the, the sermon shifting here. Peter started off as a, a prosecuting attorney, but now he moves closer to them. He walks over to their side and he's becoming their defense attorney. Now he's pointing their attention to someone who can help them, someone seated above them, the judge who pardons, not just the judge who condemns, but the judge who forgives. And that's a wonderful picture here. 
the city of refuge that we're talking about. I hope you, you know what the city of refuge is. If you don't, let me, let me explain. The city of refuge is where a person could go if they killed somebody accidentally. And they could stay there as long as they needed to, as long as they wanted to. The city of refuge that each um, Jewish town was to have. But our city of refuge, using that metaphor here, our city of refuge is none other than Jesus Christ. According to the scripture, these people who killed innocent people and needed the city of refuge to stay, they could stay as long as the high priest was alive. They could stay as long as the high priest lived. Now my Bible says that Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is the one who is eternal. He is the one who lives forever. So our place of refuge is secure. And saying that it's important to know that ignorance is no excuse when it comes to the final judgment. We can't plead to the Lord, well, Lord, I sinned in, by accident. I didn't understand what I was doing. Well, we have God's word. Let's not forget these New Testament um, Christians were preaching to people who didn't have the full, complete scriptures. We don't have an excuse today when it comes to the law. All of us stand guilty and condemned before God. And Paul argues that in, in Romans chapter 1 or through to Romans chapter 3. And if they did not listen to Peter's sermon, if they did not heed or kneel to Jesus after hearing Peter's sermon, then they would face this awful judgment. We see that in verse 23. If they were not willing to repent. So we need to confront sinners. But thank, thankfully there's a final element that we must include. And this is my third and final point that we are looking at this morning. To proclaim the gospel, we must offer God's grace to the repentant. We see that in verse 19 to verse 26. So we've seen, number one, we need to exalt the Lord Jesus. Number two, we need to confront sinners. And third and lastly, we need to offer God's grace to the repentant. So after Peter's criticism of his audience, he would... Um, I think everybody would expect him to say, well, you're all going to, to burn in hell for crucifying Jesus and walk off and, and leave them. But that's not what happens. Rather, he exhorts them, and we see that in verse 19. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Another version says that your sins may be wiped away. And if they would repent... God would send Jesus to bring times of refreshing and to restore all things. We see that in, in verse 19 as well as verse 21. And I think that's a reference to the millennial kingdom. So the gospel is not very complicated. And the simple truth is that, that we are all sinners and that we're all like Barabbas. And just like Barabbas, we can be set free from our sins. Even though we may be as guilty as Barabbas was, 
we can be liberated. We can be set free. And he tells him, Peter tells him that God sent his servant Jesus. Look at verse 26. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So if God is so gracious as to offer forgiveness and his kingdom blessings to those whom he, who have crucified his son, then surely he offers grace to every sinner who will repent. So the apostle Paul was the chief of all sinners. He himself called him that called himself that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But we know that he found mercy. He was a murderer as well, who ended up becoming a, a missionary, a messenger of the good news. He told people that Jesus Christ would demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And God sent his servant Jesus to bless us. God has sent his servant, Jesus, to bless us. How? By turning us away from our wicked ways. And no matter how terrible our sins are, no matter how many terrible sins we have committed, if we will repent, you will experience these times of refreshing from God. Because the Bible says he will wipe away your sins and he will bless you so those three points we've looked at and taken out here from peter's second sermon but let me bring this together as we conclude this morning when whenever you have an opportunity to talk to somebody about spiritual matters remember number one let's exalt the name of jesus christ and number two, sinners need to know who Jesus is and what he did. And don't hesitate out of fear by um, keeping quiet. And don't hesitate out of fear of um, giving offense because the Bible says the gospel is a two-edged sword. It's going to cut people. It's going to hurt people. But that is necessary for healing to come. Don't hesitate out of fear of offending somebody. Don't hesitate to confront the sinner and warn him of impending judgment. That's what Peter did. And we see people are cut to the heart and people are saved as they cry out to mercy and forgiveness to Jesus. Sinners need to feel the weight of their sin. Sinners need to feel the guilt before they understand their need for a savior. And like I said, it doesn't end with the bad news. There is good news. Don't fail to offer God's grace and forgiveness to everyone who will repent. And whether God uses your witness to save 2,000 as he did with Peter's second servant, or maybe just one you will be filled with joy to know that by turning a sinner from the error of his way, 
you have been used to save his soul from death. May that be true of all of us this week. Let's pray together. Father, please use us this week. Use us, Lord, to turn a sinner from the error of his way. Use us this week, Lord, to save someone from death, Lord. Use us this week to share the life-giving truth of the gospel that people would repent of their sins and call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Thank you, Lord, for these examples and again for these instructions. And I know, Lord, we all need help when it comes to our evangelism, our personal evangelism, and we all need help when it comes to sharing the gospel. I pray that you would take your word and your spirit would apply it to our lives today, Lord Jesus, and that we wouldn't just be the hearers of your word, but we would, in fact, be the the doers as well. So, Lord, please bless your word. May you be glorified. May your word not return void. May you be exalted, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.